and the prize. And today, obviously, we want to talk about the price. You know, what, what price, what was the price that Jesus paid? And we, we often talk about that as the, you know, Jesus died. And um, that's true. And that was a humongous price, a huge price. And that wasn't the only price. There are many things that Jesus paid, many prices that Jesus paid in the lead up to the cross and on the cross that we might in some small, tiny little way be able to identify with. So we're taking a moment to look at the price and the prize. Jesus came in the flesh um, as man and he came in obedience to his father with a mission. He came with a mission. The mission was to break the power of sin in our lives, to, uh, to change that separation that was between us and God the Father because of our sin, between humanity that has sinned, to break the power of that. That would restore our relationship with God. We would be set free from the consequences of our sin. But for Jesus, that came at a great price. And Good Friday is a day that we stop to reflect. And as I talked about before, we're invited to reflect on the price Jesus paid. And when you think of the price, you, you look at, you know, when we, when we price up something, when we're going to build a house or there is a content to that price. We're going to pay a price, but we know that there are a few, there are a few costs that we're going to pay. And we're going to have a look at what it cost Jesus, what the price was for us to belong to his family together with Father God. And we're going to remember, in the back of our mind, I want you to remember that this was a price that we about Good Friday. This was a price that we were supposed to pay. Our sin had set a gulf between us and God. It had established a debt, one we could never pay. You know, The Bible says that the wages of sin, the wages is what you get for your effort, the wages of sin is death. And this death would separate us from God forever. And only God could resolve this. And he did, but a price had to be paid. For something good to come of our mess, there would be a price. You know, we know that everything good has a price. And we know that everything that we receive has a price. Even, you know, even, I was thinking this week, even a government hand for that, you may not pay it, but someone has paid a price. Taxes are being paid so that you can receive a benefit. Someone paid for it. It cost someone. We received something good in Jesus, but it cost someone. Paul says in Corinthians twice, he uses the language, you were bought with a price. To, to, to exchange our life, our mess and our, our, our sin and our separation from God, to exchange that for full reconciliation and full relationship with his Father God. But this mission, especially one as hard as this, was costly. And some of these prices and some of the costs that Jesus paid were physical. Some were emotional. Some were story before and up to Jesus' death. And using that narrative, using those, we're going to look at some of the real costs paid by Jesus as he fulfilled the will of the Father for you and for me. And as we do... And as I did this this week, and, and as we do, you might be able to identify a little bit with the way that Jesus suffered, albeit at a completely different level. 
When we see some of the specific things, we can begin to think, wow, what if I felt that or ever felt anything close to that? Doing that helps us to reflect in a greater way on the gift that Jesus brought us. I'm just so aware of the fact that we can race through Easter, you know, holidays, day off, a long weekend, chocolate, family, all that sort of stuff. We can fly through Easter and we can stop in our church service for a moment, but it's gone and we haven't really reflected. We haven't really thought about, wow, okay, that's what happened. That's what it was like. So we're going to do that. So the first price that Jesus did, but the first one, first cost that he bore was deep sorrow and fear. I'm going to see that in Matthew 26, verse 36 to 39. And, and that would be the story where, where Jesus goes to pray just after he's done the Last Supper. And, and it goes like this. And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Deep sorrow and fear. You know, and that's kind of Bible language, isn't it? That's, that's, that's first century language. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. And what would you say in modern times? Wow, I am scared. This is, I am really sad. This, this, you know, this is beyond sucks. This is really, I'm really worried about this. This, is, this hurts. Remember that Jesus was fully man. So he could feel fear. He could feel sorrow. He could feel pain. And you know when you're about to go through something really painful, you can almost semi-feel it beforehand, even though it hasn't happened yet. You start imagining what the pain's going to be like. Let's not forget for a moment that that's, Jesus was fully man. There was this sense where he could really feel. And so the first price that he paid was deep fear and sorrow and pain and apprehension. He knew what was coming. And he withstood this deep anxiety for us. That was a price. That was a cost before he even got there. You know, have you ever felt fear and apprehension for something coming? That you're really not wanting to happen or you really don't want to do? Wishing it could pass and and wishing there's another way. Could we do this another way? Especially... And what if it's not even for you, but it's for somebody else? You're about to do something that you don't really want to do. It's not even for you. Have you ever felt separation, sorrow? Maybe someone left you. A really good friend. Maybe someone in your family died. Maybe separation. Have you ever felt that sorrow of separation? You know, remember Jesus was fully man. He, he had a relationship with his disciples. He called them his friends and he knew he was going to leave them. Have you ever felt anxiety for something that's coming? Maybe those things can help us a little bit to imagine what Jesus might have felt. Just a tiny bit. So fear and sorrow and Anxiety. 
And then another cost that he paid was being alone and unsupported all of a sudden. And we see that in, in Matthew 26, verse 39 to 40. And it's still in this same story. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me just one hour. I mean, it's nice polite language there. And he's like, Are you serious? I asked you to stay awake. Can you see? And he had just told them that he was really troubled and sorrowful. Remember that. That was just before that. I'm hurting here. I'm in pain here. I'm going to go over there and pray. Can you just wait for me? And he gets back in there asleep. Seriously? Those are my friends? Those are the ones that I can count on? At the time he needed his friends the most, they didn't even have the energy to stay awake and support him. A couple of times, because it goes on, he went again and they fell asleep again. When he needed those that he called close to just be there, to just be present in his sorrowing, and you ever needed those close to you or friends to just be there, just to support you because you're doing it tough? You don't want to go through everything, you're just not doing well. But they're either absent. Or they're just so busy with their own needs that they're asleep, basically. They're not even listening or, or feeling you. Have you ever been unsure of what's coming? Maybe that gives you a little bit of an idea of what it might have been, what the cost for Jesus might have been. Another cost, alone and unsupported. And then another one, betrayed. We have a number of scriptures. You read through Matthew 26, there's a number of instances. And the first one is when Judas comes to the garden in verse 49, and he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And that wasn't a hi, how are you going, mate, kiss. He kissed him. That was one he, you know, he had said to the guys, you know, the guy that I go, watch up, guys, the guy that I actually kiss, he's the one you got to nab. And Jesus knew this. He kissed him and Jesus said, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And then you have that, in, that what ensues there is that there's a little bit of a scuffle. You know, a sword is drawn, an ear is knocked off. Jesus says, Don't do that. And he pops the ear back on again. It was probably a little bit deep, but that's how it happened. But then at the end of it, you see verse 56b Then all the disciples left him and fled. They did a runner, didn't they? And we read a little bit further and we get Peter by the fire. In verse 70, someone said, hey, aren't you one of his, his posse, his men? But he denied it and he said, I don't know what you mean. And they kept on going and he gets more agitated and he begins to invoke a curse on himself and he swears, oh, I don't know the man. A bit like, no, nah, I wouldn't be connected with a crazy man like that. No, nah, I don't know him. And immediately the rooster crowed. Jesus was betrayed. That was an enormous cost. Those he gave the most time to, the most to, the, the most time, the most of his passion, his love, his care, his friendship, his healing, his teaching, those he gave himself to betrayed him. One of them for money. 
That's how much he valued the relationship. And the others out of fear and self-preservation. Not to know him at all and even be a bit disgusted by him. Oh, I don't know the guy. Nah, he's crazy. Have you ever been left high and dry when the chips are down? When you're really in trouble? Left high and dry by people or friends or people close to you that you know when you really needed them to come through for you? Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Some of them, they leave you or they rip you off. That can make you feel incredibly alone and incredibly small. Imagine how Jesus felt. Betrayed by those he actually came to save. Those that he left paradise for. He left a wonderful life for us. And they're the ones that did a runner. What a price to pay. And then he was treated worse than a murderer, wasn't he? In Matthew 27, we read about that. We read about the, the governor who says, Well, you know, it's a bit of a tradition at this time of year that if you know, I, can, I can let one prisoner go and I can, I can hold one, which one do you want to let go? And in verse 21, the governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Jesus was treated worse than a murderer, having done nothing bad. He'd not harmed anyone. A murderer is chosen for... You know, 1 Peter 3 verse 18 uses the words, the righteous for the unrighteous. You know, and I'm thinking, when I think about that, isn't this just the greatest picture of what Jesus came to do anyway? Romans 5 verse 8 tells us that while we were still sinning, while we were still the murderer, we got to go free and he got to be crucified. Jesus died in the place of a sinner. Have you ever been treated worse than you should have been? Have you ever had to see people that do bad things get better treatment than you? If that made you feel angry... If that made you feel sad or even helpless, imagine. And you might have just had to miss out on something because someone bad got a better, something better than you or treated better than you. Jesus died because of that. Treated worse than a murderer. Another cost, another price he paid. He was mocked and abused Matthew 27 talks to us about that, doesn't it? Matthew 27, verse 30, And they spit on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him on the head. And in 39 to 41, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Can you imagine? It's like your nana saying. They derided him, and wagging their heads, and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God... Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him. Didn't they? He was not only accused of a crime he didn't do, he was abused for that crime. Now, note well, in Jesus' time there was no Geneva Convention for prisoners. There was no, you've got to treat them well. 
They mocked him. And they didn't just mock him and abuse him. They abused him. They hit him. They whipped him. And, you know, the whips in those days, you know, you've seen, you know, I wouldn't like to be whipped with a whip today. You know, you get those red welts if you're whipped. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've never done it. But, you know, how you spin the wet tea towel. And you, oh, I've never done that. But, you know, how that can leave a little bit of a red welt. Well, the whips are, are bad like that. The whips in Jesus' day were intended to cause a whole lot more pain. At the end of the whips, at the end of the straps, were bits of broken, sharp bone. And the idea was they would whip so that the bone would grab the skin and they would pull so it would tear off pieces of flesh as they pulled it away. He was abused, mocked and abused. Pain was inflicted just because they could. They were mean and demeaning. They mocked his relationship with his father. Hey, if you're the son of God, do something about it. They made fun of his words. And that's a real cost. That's a real price you pay. You know, I can remember being mocked and made fun of in high school because I was a Christian. I went to a state school and, and I was seen as a bit different and I was segregated from most of the popular kids and... Even some of the teachers would, would join in with the mocking. I can remember being mocked and made fun of because I couldn't play football very well. And when, you know, in school, they don't do it anymore, when they had to, you know, the, you chose two captains and they had to, you know, select a team. I'll have him, I'll have him, I'll have him. I was the left one, last one standing. And he said, no, I had him last week, you have him this week. Because I wasn't very good at football, I forgot when the, at quarter time that you're supposed to start kicking the other way. So I'd kick with the team that I wasn't supposed to be kicking for, but they were happy. But I know how that felt. I know what mocking felt like and being derided and compared to how Jesus felt. And the thing striking about Jesus being mocked, the price he paid, it was for me. It was all about me. Jesus did it for others including me and you. What a price to pay. Maybe, just maybe you can feel a bit of that. Then he was crucified. Now, crucifixion, horrible, horrible way to die. I don't know if you've ever heard all the stories or heard someone explain, but it was incredible. And crucifixion, when you were nailed to to the cross, that was only halfway through the process. It started before that. You had to carry your cross through a mocking crowd. It was the most shameful way to die and save for the worst of offenders. It was less than anything. You'd have that walk of shame. You'd have the pain of having to be abused and, and punished beforehand and carry the cross and splinters. That would, they would use rough wood on purpose and they would move them up and down on the wood so the splinters would grab into them. And then they didn't get nice little three-inch nails from Bunnings they used really big, rusty hurt. And they would nail you in such a way that you had to keep moving because your chest would collapse. You'd have to keep pressing up on your legs to relieve the pressure on your chest. And then when it wasn't going fast enough, they'd break your legs so that you couldn't do that anymore. So you'd have the pain. Your blood would be shed. Your bones would be broken. Your body was broken. This was a death save for the worst of the worst. Jesus was crucified, guys. This is something I can't even get close to imagining. It's beyond the physical pain that I imagine when I hit my thumb with a hammer or when I have physical pain. 
It's beyond any pain that I can imagine that we have to go through. Jesus' blood was shed and his body was broken. Physically, remember, he was fully man. He wasn't some kind of angel that could withstand. He was flesh and blood. It hurt. What a price. What a price he paid. Ultimate loneliness was another one. The ultimate loneliness. He was forsaken by his father. That for him was ultimate. In Matthew 27 verse 46, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The most intimate of relationships you know, in John 17, we read of this lovely, the way that Jesus talks to his Father. And we see right through the, the New Testament the way that Jesus talks of his Father, the love he has for his Father, the, the relationship that they had with his Son was broken in that moment. In a time where everyone else had either left him or betrayed him, even his Father turns his back on him, leaves him alone. His obedience to the one that he loves. His obedience to his father. The one he loves most dearly actually caused Satan feeling lonely. No one left in the world. Nothing. You know, I guess there's some of us that have known rejection or being left alone to face painful consequences. And maybe that was even by a parent or a family member or a really close friend. That's a moment when Jesus must have felt so incredible. How incredibly helpless Jesus must have felt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was way more painful than, guys, why did you fall asleep? Ultimate loneliness. And then death. You know, we can't. That's a cost. That's a price Jesus paid. He actually physically died. Jesus cried, Matthew 27, verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit, which is Bible speak for he died. He painfully gave his life. You know, that's what they, they did. And we know that they pierced his side. Is he gone yet? What's he, what's he, when he, what, what is he saying? He's sort of too long. He painfully gave his life. He physically died. He gave his life in submission to God the Father. In Romans 5 verse 7 says, Very seldomly would a person die for a righteous, read religious man, but a good one, someone that was admirable and stand-up person in society perhaps, someone might dare to die, someone might dare to, to pay the price. We weren't even good. We weren't even righteous. Jesus died for us. The next verse goes on to tell us that. We can never identify here. We can only stand in awe and look at the cross and think, wow. That he would die for us. The unrighteous, not righteous, not always good at all. But he prayed the price and he was willing to bear the cost. Why? Why was he willing to pay these prices? Why was he willing to bear the cross? Firstly, to glorify the Father. We read, of the, the, we read of his prayer to the Father in John 17, where he talked, for me to glorify you and for you to be glorified through me. 
His obedience to the Father, his obedience to God glorified God. And that's what it means for us. That's why our obedience is so important. That's because Jesus' obedience glorifies God, so too our obedience glorifies God. Why was he willing to pay the price to glorify his Father? He knew that this was his Father's plan. But also importantly, why would Jesus willingly bear that cost? Because this is love. It was for you and I. You know, John 3 verse 16, who doesn't know that? For God so loved the world. He could have just said, for God loved the world. But God so much loved the world that he gave, gave his only son. This is love. You know, 1 John 4 verse 10, and that one should be up there for you. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a big word. To take the place, to take the punishment, to exchange places for us in our sin. The cost was huge for Jesus. The price was much. But his love was greater great enough the price was high but the prize was worth it on Sunday we're going to talk about the prize you know I'm reminded of and some of you might remember a really old sermon that Tony Campolo preached many many years ago or you might have heard the line it's Friday and he kept going it's Friday but Sunday's coming it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And Sunday, we're going to talk about the prize. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at that and we just touch on perhaps only a few of the things that you must have gone through, Jesus, in order to, um, yeah, in order to yeah, rejoin us with your Father, in order to restore us, to, to save us. Lord, we stand in awe and we just acknowledge and recognize how great you are, how much you must love us, how worthy we are in your eyes. Lord, for our acts are not worthy, our lives are, uh, don't display that worth and yet you came and we thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for knowingly walking into the price knowingly paying the cost, knowingly die, dying. We praise you and thank you for that. Amen. We're going to celebrate Lord's Supper. And, you know, we, we, we traditionally do this on um, Good Friday, but we don't habitually do it. It's just a great tradition. It's a great time to remember we're commanded to remember and believe. And we talk about celebrating Lord's Supper, not because we celebrate the death and say, oh, great, look at what Jesus suffered. We celebrate it because it was for us. Because it, it, it actually acquired, it, it, Jesus acquired our salvation, our eternal life. We were given that. Remind each other of the greatness of Jesus' work on the cross for us. His body was broken, that his blood was shed.
And just before that, um, just before the section that we read in in Matthew, there was the, before they went out to pray in the in the garden and they fell asleep, etc. There was the supper, and as they were eating, I'm just going to unearth this stuff here. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it out to the disciples. And he said, take this, eat this, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. Poured it out and he asked them to drink all of the cup. And in those days, you know, they probably weren't worried about germs and that sort of stuff. They had the communal cup. I can even remember that as when I was younger. But he said, drink of it, all of you. You know, partake. That means we're all sharing of the same thing. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, I won't drink it again until the day when I drink it with you anew in the Father's kingdom. We're commanded to continue to celebrate this as a community of believers, to remember what Jesus did. Jesus is going to eat with us. He is going to celebrate with us with an absolute feast. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, and if Good Friday, if there's an impact in your life because of Good Friday, when you remember, when you recognise, wow, Jesus, for me... They're invited to celebrate with us this morning. I'm going to ask Eunice to come forward and we're just going to make one station. If you can just come forward and take the elements and then head on back to your seat um, and then we'll eat it together when we're ready to go. Take this, eat it, remember and believe the body of Jesus was broken. Think of the price that he paid was for the complete forgiveness of all of our sin. As you drink the cup, when you think what it must have been like being on the cross when they stabbed his side to see if his blood would flow, whether, whether he was dead or not yet. And it did give us of all of our sin. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God because of what Jesus did? You know, I often think of the guy that was the two... 
um, I don't know what they were, criminals that were crucified alongside him. One of them would be with him in paradise that day just because he knew what Jesus was doing was absolutely incredible. That guy never had Lord's Supper, never listened to a sermon, didn't fall asleep on God, just got nothing except his incredible love. How good is God? How great is Jesus? Thanks. And let's go out singing on this love.